He sees our anxiety. He knows we struggle with worry. And he steps right toward us. Not away from us. He steps right toward us with compassion and kindness. And he says, there's a better way. And that better way is open to you because of me. You know, when I think of our experience with anxiety, um, a feeling um, that, that I would say hasn't escaped a single person in this room, I think of Proverbs 12. And in Proverbs 12, there's a verse in there, Proverbs 12, 25, and it says, anxiety in a man's heart weighs him down. Is that not so true? That, that is such a, just a short little accurate description of our experience with anxiety. Anxiety in a man's heart weighs him down. The proverb concludes with, but a good word makes him glad. So if you leave today still anxious, this was not a good word. Um, so, no, no, that's not how it works. But I, I do. I think of, I think of Proverbs 12.25. Um, and Proverbs 12.25, it makes me picture anxieties in our life kind of like a weighted backpack. Have you guys seen these? I've never seen a weighted backpack until we went on our elder retreat, okay? Um, we, were, we were going to our elder retreat, and we, we went out to uh, this, this spot that was about 10 miles from the middle of nowhere, you know? One of those places. It was a really cool cabin out somewhere in uh, the Bruce area, somewhere out there. But we were going out there, and Corey uh, Smith and I were, were riding together. And so it was, I went over to his house, we were, we were loading up my baby Kia, and we were, we were loading that sucker up and putting all of our stuff in there. And I had the big whiteboard that we were trying to stuff in in the back seat. And we had the trunk open, and we were putting all our stuff in. And just before we finished, we had all this stuff ready to go. Corey says, hey, hang on, I got, I got one more thing. And uh, the dude, like, he starts pull, lugging this big backpack around. And I was like, what do you have in there? Look, he said, no, it's a weighted backpack. I, I may want to get some exercise in. And I picked that thing up, and I'm like, what in the world is this? And then he just, like, tosses it in there, you know, almost like as if to say, just in case, you know. Just in case you need the weighted backpack, you know, for some exercise to be able to retreat. Corey and I are for people, by the way. I think I threw a few extra snacks in there or something, you know, so. I brought, I brought some extra snacks. He brought the weighted backpack just in case he has some time to, to go on a run. Because going on a run is not enough. You need, you need the weighted backpack. But, but he had to put that thing on. And it's crazy. I mean, it's heavy. You know? And so he's like, you know, it's, it's really helpful because you, you put this thing on and you walk. And eventually, you know, your body strengthens and you get used to it. And you build up strength and endurance and all that. It's, I'm sure it's really wonderful because I put it on and immediately took it off. I haven't put one since. Um, so... Don't have to worry about a weighted backpack. But anxieties in our life, it's kind of like a weighted backpack. If you've ever put one on and you feel the weight just beating down on you, if you've ever struggled with anxiety or you, you are anxious about something, usually we're not just anxious or we don't just worry about one thing. It's one thing after the next. It's, it's different areas of our lives. We think about our roles as parents or as spouses or, or friendships or family relationships. So we have some relationship spectrum. We, we have all these anxieties. And then you think about work and the different things that are going on there. You have anxieties there. And then you just think about the future in general. Or then you look at your bank account. And it's just anxiety after anxiety after anxiety. One weight after the next. It's put into this backpack. And you feel as Proverbs 12, 25 says, weighed down. The heart of man is weighed down. All of a sudden, things start piling on and piling on, and your backpack is, is pretty full, and you're full of anxiety. Um, what stands out from 
this passage in Matthew 6 is not just Jesus' compassion in seeing us. And that's something never to take for granted. That Jesus doesn't just put this standard up for us to, to attain. He says, I see you. I see you in your anxiety. I see your anxious heart. And I'm coming to you to help. Um, but what stands out, not only that, is that Jesus doesn't live this way. Something that stood out from this passage to me is something you don't really think about Jesus. If Jesus is calling us to a worry-free life, and he is, he commands it three or four different times just in this passage alone, do not be anxious. He says the thing that I always get in trouble for saying at my house. Hey, don't worry. You know, it's just usually not helpful advice. But it's what Jesus says to us here. He says, I see you. I see your anxiety. Don't be anxious. He's calling us to a worry-free life. But what that highlights to me about the person of Jesus and how he lived his life, Jesus, although there are all these prophecies about how he is the suffering servant, how he is the man of sorrows, and we have these images of him weeping in Lazarus' tomb, and we have this image of him in the Garden of Gethsemane just bearing down, and he's, he's sweating blood, and he's wrestling with God's will, and we see his suffering and agony on the cross. Despite those very clear and real examples, Jesus is a complex person in the sense that he was also probably the happiest person to walk the planet. The happiest person to walk the planet. The most content, anxiety-free person to walk the planet. And he wants us to step in to this existence where we are not weighed down with anxiety. You notice he says it three times. Did you pick up on it when, when Brandon read it in verse 25? He says, do not be anxious. In verse 31, he says, do not be anxious. And then in verse 34, therefore, he says what? Do not be anxious. Jesus desires for you and I to be totally free from anxiety in this world while recognizing that we will likely struggle with anxiety and feel anxious throughout our lives. The life he's calling us to is a worry-free life. So I'm going to show you three things from Matthew 6 to highlight our deep need, Jesus' deep sufficiency, as it pertains to anxiety. First, I want to show you the problem of anxiety. We see the problem of anxiety in this passage. Second, we see a path away from anxiety. So he, he diagnoses a problem, and then he, then he prescribes a solution. And then third, I want to suggest to you the power of to follow that path, the power to be worry-free. When I talk about anxiety and worry, I'll use them uh, interchangeably, but really the problem, the path away from it, and the power to follow that path. Okay, first we need to consider the problem of worry, the problem of anxiety, and you see it here in this passage. It's a problem because Jesus says not to do it. When Jesus says don't do this, it's that thing is usually not good. He's not steering us away from something that is good for us. Anxiety is not good for us. And we need to begin by defining anxiety in Matthew 6. What does Jesus mean when he uses the word worry? Or he uses the word anxiety? As Matthew's uh, writing this, and as we have this translation in English, what does anxious mean in this 
passage. We have a few modern definitions that probably inform our own understanding of anxiety or worry. And so I want to share a couple of those. I was looking in the dictionary and I found this definition of anxiety. It's a feeling of worry, nervousness, or unease about either an imminent event or an uncertain outcome. And then I dug a little bit further, and I looked at the, uh, the APA, the, the American Psychological Association, how they define anxiety, and they define anxiety this way, as an emotion characterized by a feeling of tension, worried thoughts, and physical changes, such as increased blood pressure. And then uh, as I was looking more on the APA, it defines different anxiety disorders. And some of these anxiety disorders are characterized by, quote, states of excessive uneasiness and apprehension, often with compulsive behavior or panic attacks. And then it goes on uh, to, to talk about the signs of anxiety, and, and it includes the following, quote, irritability, anger, sweating, unusual mood swings, rapid heartbeat, chest pain, exhaustion, nervous twitching, decreased concentration, memory, nausea, shortness of breath, um, hair loss, weight gain, uh, weight loss, panic, indecisiveness, muscle tension, insomnia, high blood pressure, and there were actually more, I uh, didn't want to spend the rest of the sermon going through all the signs. Now I'm assuming a lot of us um, have some familiarity with some of these signs to, to varying degrees. And maybe if you didn't before, you heard me uh, go through that list, now you have anxiety. And you're like, I wasn't anxious before, but now I'm very anxious after hearing, after hearing you go through that list. Um, listen, it's really important for us to define anxiety before we even walk through this passage, because we need to be careful not to read our own preconceptions, our own definitions of anxiety, into the biblical use of this word. Because when you do that, you're prone to fall into one of two errors in approaching this passage. And you won't be able to hear what Jesus is saying. First, there's one error. On one hand, our understanding of anxiety could lead us to scoff at Jesus here. For being a bit callous, or, oh, well, it's not really Jesus' fault. He just didn't have the understanding that we have now about mental health and Anxiety, and so he's just using the information he has. And then before you go too far, you remember, oh yeah, he made everything. Um, you know, he is the sovereign Lord of heaven and earth. He might know. I don't think he was just, you know, ignorant in this moment. But but we, we're prone to think that. He says, don't be anxious. Who likes to hear that from anyone? You know, you're telling someone your problem, something you're really worrying about, and they just their advice to you is, well, how about you just don't though? Like you're about that. Don't don't be anxious. We don't like to hear that. So our understanding of anxiety, if we don't hear what Jesus is really saying, we could write him off. We could scoff at him. On the other hand, and I've seen this a lot too, especially from pastors and in churches, our understanding of anxiety could lead, to, lead us to abuse Jesus' command here and fail to be sympathetic toward those who deeply struggle with anxiety. And so we might use this passage to condemn anyone who struggles with an anxiety disorder. It's like, okay, you're struggling with anxiety. Well, okay, here's what Jesus says. Don't be anxious. Trust God. Stop having such little faith. You need to properly orient your life in the world. We're going to talk about all of that today. But then it's like they continue to struggle with anxiety. It's like, hey, what's going on? Are you not trusting God? You know, and so what happens is you start to believe that anyone who struggles with anxiety might not even be a real Christian. And it can be abused that way. Or if you're reading this and you deeply struggle with anxiety, or you maybe even have an anxiety disorder, you read this and you're like, is my medical condition sinful? Is it sinful for me, for me to struggle with 
going on? What does Jesus mean by anxiety in Matthew 6? Well, a couple things we can say up front that he's not saying. Jesus is not talking about medical conditions. As far as we can tell, he's not including the like, more, more rare conditions of anxiety that is so severe that it cannot be overcome by anything except for medication or significant treatment. He's not, he's not really referencing that here as far as we can tell. Um, he's not talking about medical conditions. Jesus also isn't saying that we should just not be concerned about anything in life. Don't be anxious. Hey, don't worry. Don't worry about anything at all where we're just carefree, you know? Jesus is not saying, don't worry. What is it? Be happy. Be happy. Yeah, there you go. By the way, I learned yesterday that that is not Bob Marley. I always thought it was Bob Marley, but it's like the only reason people thought that is because he's reggae, and I was like, yeah, that's, I don't know much about music, but anyway. Bobby McFerrin, I learned that um, about yesterday as I was talking to someone about it. Um, but yeah, it's not that. And then for all the kids and or millennials in the room, it's also not Hakuna Matata, you know, from uh, Timon and Pumbaa. Uh, what does Hakuna, Hakuna Matata mean? It means no worries. Yeah. No, that's not what we're talking about either. Jesus is not saying, no worries, Hakuna Matata, just, you know, carefree. Don't worry, be happy. Stop worrying about everything in the world. He's not calling us to a disinterested life. And do you know how we know that? We know that from the Greek word that is translated here as anxious or anxiety or worry. There are other parts of the New Testament where this word is found. And in those places, the word is translated very differently. Here in Matthew 6, it's translated pretty negatively. Don't be anxious. So anxiety, worry, it's not a good thing. The same Greek word is translated in other places positively. The context demands a different use of the word, and so it's translated into English not as worry, but concern. We find that in 2 Corinthians 11. We find that in Philippians 2. The word's translated concern because of the context there. In Philippians 2, out of his earnest concern, or literally his earnest worry for the churches in Philippi, Paul is sending Timothy to go to them, to encourage them. Paul deeply cared for this church, and he wanted them to be encouraged, so it was out of his concern that he sent Timothy. So Jesus is not calling us to be disinterested or not concerned about the things that are going on. But we need to, to think about the two ways that this word is translated. Concern and worry carry very different meanings. The context that these words are found in define that difference. And that difference between concern and worry helps us understand what Jesus is actually referring to. What's the difference between being concerned about something and worrying about something? It's important to know the difference. Because it is very good and godly and important and necessary for us to be concerned about various things in our lives. But it is detrimental to ourselves and to others, to give ourselves over to worry. You see, concern and worry have very different motivations. Concern is generally motivated by love. Paul is concerned for the church in Philippi out of his love for the church and his love for the advance of the gospel. You, are, you should be concerned about your spouse, about your marriage, about, about your family, about your future, about your finances, out of love. For other people, you should be concerned about your future because of your love for God and your desire to be used for His glory. It's motivated by love, love for God, family, or the church, or other people. 
Worry, on the other hand, is often motivated by fear, not love. That's how you know if, if your concern is dipped into worry, if, you're, if your disposition is marked a little bit more by fear, fear of outcomes, fear of the unknown, fear of the future. It, it's especially a fear of not having control over certain situations. But, but concern and worry, they also produce different outcomes. If you're concerned about something, it typically leads you to godly action. You plan and you prepare. You work just as Paul. Paul was concerned for the church, so what did he do? He sent Timothy to them. If you're concerned for your children's future, you plan accordingly. If you're concerned about something that's going on at work, you want a situation to be better, maybe you schedule a meeting or, or you, you, you know, get a project finished a little bit quicker than you uh, otherwise wanted to. Concern leads to healthy planning and preparation. Worry, on the other hand, typically leads to inaction, or it's, it's coped with unhealthy mechanisms. Worry is often paralyzing, where you, you sit around and you don't do anything. And in fact, the majority of your time is spent worrying about whatever it is that's, that's concerning you in the moment. And so you spend all your time talking and, and fretting and worrying. You, can't sleep at night, you're up thinking, your mind is racing constantly about whatever it is that you're worried about, but you're not actually doing anything. Or, on the other hand, worry can also lead to panic, where you make rash decisions, you make poor decisions, you, you do things, you cope in really unhealthy ways, but you panic, you don't have to do something, you don't know what to do, and so you act in, in a way that is more panic and prepared. So these similarities and differences between worry and concern help us understand Jesus' exhortation to not worry. You can simply define worry in this passage as over-concern. Over-concern. It's when concern for something takes over in your heart. And it becomes an obsession that you have. You're not just concerned about your children. They become the center of every single thing that you think and do. You're not just concerned about what's happening at work. Thoughts about work consume every moment of the day. You're not just concerned about the future or your finances. Those thoughts start to take over and they weigh your heart down in a really particular way that we're going to talk about. As Proverbs 12.25 says, this is anxiety that is weighed down our hearts. Anxiety is being weighed down with these concerns. Concerns become anxiety when we carry them in such a way that we lack trust in God or in a way that we lose perspective on life. So think really quickly that an easy example is, is your job. You think about work or if you're in school, you think about school. It's important to care about it. It's important to care about your job. It's important to care about school. And you want to do well, you should do well. You should do all things to the glory of God. We should be concerned about working well. But when our jobs or when school keeps us up at night, when it causes us to be absent with our family because our thoughts are constantly racing about a project or something we wish we hadn't said or something we, we wish we had said or something our boss said to us. You ever have that experience where your boss says something or a coworker says something and just like replays in your head over and over throughout the day? When that starts to happen, you've taken something that was a good and godly concern and it has become a worry. 
You're carrying it in a really particular way. You are bearing the weight of it. And the way it looks in your heart is there's a lack of trust in God, and there's a really bad perspective on life. Anxiety is carrying our concerns without trusting God and with a really bad perspective on life. Jesus wants to set us free from such a life. When our concerns start to press in on us, and we start to feel their weight, when fear creeps in our hearts, when we feel like we're losing control, that's when we're prone to do those two things. Lose trust in God, and lose a good and healthy perspective on life itself. So, Jesus wants to show us a better way. And that's what he does here in Matthew 6. He shows us a better way. There's another path. There's a path that does not lead to worry, that leads away from worry. And so let's, let's look at this alternative to worry in Matthew 6, 25-34. Now, in order to understand how worry, this over-concern, this carrying our concerns without trusting God and, and with this bad perspective on life, we have to understand the cause of worry. Where does it come from? Okay, if worry's over-concern, where does that come from? Why, why is it that sometimes our good concerns in the world turn into worries? What's, what's the cause here? Now, again, we need to start with the negative and, and what, what doesn't cause worry and what we always think does cause worry. We always think our circumstances cause worry. What, what, or a person. A person, a situation, a circumstance, they're the one who's causing me to worry. And, and that's really just a little too shallow. Um, often we think if our circumstances were different, we would not be worrying right now. But that's, that, that doesn't suffice, because you can have a circumstance that changes. You're worrying about your job or your family in a really particular way, and you're like, if this was different, if we didn't have this medical situation, if I, you know, if I would just get that promotion, then I wouldn't worry about this anymore. Everything would be fine. The moment that happens, you start worrying about the same things in different ways. You're, you're worrying about your finances, for instance, and a worry is, are we going to be able to pay the bills this month? And that's your worry. Well, if, that, if I would just get that promotion, or if our job would just change, or I'd get a new job, or we move somewhere else, or, or something changes, then I wouldn't worry about this anymore. And so then it finally changes. And you get a big raise, you get a big promotion, and now you look at your bank account, and you're like, oh, this is so much better. There's still, we have some wiggle room here. Well, then you start to worry about, well, what do we do with the excess? Is it okay for us to spend on this? Or should we be saving? Should we save all of it? Should we be investing in something? What, what do we do with this money? Or, you know, maybe you feel guilty, like, gosh, I should probably be giving more at the, at the church, or I should be more, more generous with, with other people. What do I do? And so your anxiety is just shifted. Circumstances are not the cause of your worry. Circumstances just reveal your worry. Worry is not rooted in the circumstances. We have to go deeper, and Jesus takes us deeper. He shows us that the root of worry is spiritual. He shows us that worry originates not outside of us in our circumstances. Worry originates in our hearts. Now, let me be clear. Saying that the root of worry is spiritual, that does not diminish or neglect other factors that contribute to anxiety. In any way does that, does that diminish any of those? There are emotional, physiological, psychological, even social factors that contribute to our anxiety and worry. 
and then emphasizing the spiritual component in that doesn't diminish those other components. But we need to hear what Jesus is saying. He's speaking to the spiritual problems that lead to worry. And there are two that he highlights. Well, really three. And the first is that worry comes from a lack of trust in God. And we have to be careful there too. Because I'm not saying if you worry, that means you're not a Christian. Because it means you're not trusting God. When I say worry comes from a lack of trust in God, I'm saying worry comes from functionally forgetting who God is. It's functional. It's not actual. You functionally, practically forget God. But you're not actually forgetting him. If I ask you about God, you believe in him. You know him. You know all kinds of stuff about him. But when you're in a moment of worry, and you're worrying about something, and your concerns are taking over your heart, you have practically forgotten who God is. And we know this because of what Jesus prescribes for worry. He points us to creation. We look, look with me in verse 26, how beautiful this is. Jesus is not like those people we can't stand who just tell us not to worry and don't give us any help. Jesus says, don't worry. Here's why. If you're anxious this morning, you need to hear this word from Jesus. Don't worry. Here's why. Look at verse 26. Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow, nor reap, nor gather into barns. And yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? And then jump down to verse 28. And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which is today alive and tomorrow grown into the oven, Will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Um, listen to what Jesus is saying. He's, 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 this is the end of the Sermon on the Mount. He's outside. He's outside. He's talking to a lot of a, a lot of people who were farmers, peasants, you know, working class people. And he's talking to them. And he, he says, "Hey, don't be anxious." And he looks and he sees birds flying. He says, "Look at the birds." He points them to. Do you see the birds? In, in Luke's account of it, it says, Look at the raven. Look at the crow. What does the crow do to deserve to eat? What does the crow do? How does the crow get his food? He steals it. The crow steals his food. The crow eats dead animals. And yet God provides food for him. Do you think you're more valuable than a crow to God? Do you think you're more valuable than birds and flowers to God? You are. When you worry, you forget that. And that's his prescription here. One path away from worry involves trusting God. He's saying, you're worrying about the situation or this person or your future what you have or what you don't have. Because you've practically forgotten that God is your Father. 
and you are so valuable to him. God is our loving Father who values us, who cares for us. And Jesus' point here in Matthew 6 is not that you shouldn't worry because God's going to provide for you in exactly the way that you wish. I always struggle with this passage because I would read this and it was talking about basic essentials like food and clothing. And I would be like, okay, that sounds great, but there are still even Christians around the world who starve. I guess you didn't provide for them, I would say, in anger and frustration to the Lord in reading this passage. But I completely misunderstood the point that Jesus is making. He's not asking us to press his analogy to its logical ends. He's using this analogy about God's care for the birds and his provision for the flowers, his creation of the flowers, to highlight his love for you. And what he's highlighting there is God's trustworthiness. You don't have to worry about this. I know, if, I know, I know you feel like there's no way out, but you don't have to worry about because of who God is, because of how he relates to you as Father, his love for you, he treasures you. You don't have to worry about that. This is the point that he's making. It's, it's almost like he's a father with his children, and I, I, I know some of you have done this. I, I, I've done this a few times with our kids. If they've ever been scared, or, or upset, or worried about something. What do you do? You don't, you don't even necessarily reason with them. You just bring them close and you just, shh, 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 shh. It's okay. Everything's going to be okay. You ever said that to your kids? And if we can say that to our kids, and what we mean by that, it's not that we have infinite knowledge of all things. It means you can trust me. I'm here for you. You don't have to be afraid. I am right here. That's what God is saying to us with infinite knowledge and infinite power and infinite compassion. He says, you can trust me because I value you. I, I love you. What does it look like to trust God when you worry? What's it look like? Well, Jesus tells us in, in verse 33. Oh boy, how, how we misunderstand this, this verse. In verse 33, he says, but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. And we're prone to interpret that passage and say, well, if I, see, if I put God first in my life, then he's going to give me everything I want. I've heard it so many times. If I, if I just put God first, then he's going to provide me an offer to do anything else. Just put him first. And that's not what he's saying. He's saying, seek the kingdom. You're worried about all these things in your life, and that, that's what has your attention. You're seeking, seeking, seeking after controlling all these situations in your life, and you want everything to go just so, and you're seeking after that. And he says, hey, the Gentiles do that. Stop. Stop. You don't have to do that. Seek first the kingdom, and leave the rest of it to me. Trusting God means resting in his sovereign hands. It means daring to give your mind and heart over to things other than your concerns. A concrete example from, from our family. Um, when things got really hard here at church last year, really hard, there was a moment Eric and I had a conversation and we're like, what do we do? What do we do? And I remember Eric came to me and she was, she was just, she was emotional and she said, what does it look like to trust God right now? 
Because I don't know what else to do other than to trust God, but I don't know how to do that. And I remember the more we talked about it, we just realized, here's what it looks like for us to trust God right now. Tonight, we're going to go to bed. And we're going to sleep. And we're going to wake up tomorrow. And you're going to go to work. And I'm going to go to work. And we're going to stay faithful right where we are. And we're not going to demand answers. And we don't know how things are going to turn out. But that's okay. Because our Father cares for the birds. You think He's not going to provide for you and care for you and be there for you? He will. Trusting God sometimes just looks like taking a next step of faithfulness. Staying right where you are. Doing the next right thing. I think that's from Frozen, but it is good, it's good uh, advice. Listen, trusting God is seeking first the kingdom and leaving the rest to Him. Okay, one more, one more way to leave worry behind is to see this other root of worry. And this is where most of us fall. It's a really bad perspective on life. We worry in part because we improperly value our lives. So the remedy to worry in part is to accurately evaluate your life in the world. And this, this comes from verse 25. So, so look with me in verse 25. Jesus says, Therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. And he says, is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? And then again, down in verse 33, he says, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. We are all very bad appraisers of our lives. We ascribe far too much value to things in our lives, even things that are in fact really valuable. And whatever it is we're worrying about likely has taken an oversized place in our hearts. And it's possible we could be treasuring that thing, whatever it is, maybe be really good, more than God. Worry often puts a spotlight on our idols. Whether it's a desire to feel important or a desire to fulfill a specific role in life or our reputations or our worry may be evidence that we're serving an idol rather than God. Your worry may be rooted in this really bad perspective on life that whatever it is you're worrying about is the most important thing in your life. And that's one of the reasons that you're worrying about it so much. If you have children, you're prone to overvalue your children. We're prone to give them a priority in our hearts that they are not meant to hold. And, and so when it comes to caring about their future or their well-being, we're not just concerned. We're worried. We're worried because our entire existence is caught up in being their parent. And if we don't have that, who are we? And when your identity is so tied to whether it's your job or, or your role as a parent or, or you know, a friendship or relationship, whatever it is, if your identity is tied to that, that's a really bad perspective on life. And it can create worry because you're putting a weight on all of these things that cannot bear it. But when you know and you live like your life is more than your concerns, 
And God is the one that you treasure more than anything else. Everything else falls into its proper place. When you treasure God more than anything else, when he becomes the center of your life, your concerns for your children or your job or your future, they will be held in check. And you'll be able to say, yes, this is important. And yes, this matters very much. And yes, this demands my attention. And yes, I will plan accordingly. But my life is more than my kids. And my life is more than my job. And my life is more than how much money I have or don't have in the bank. This perspective frees us from worry, from over-concern. It frees us to enjoy each day as a gift from God and empowers us to live with joy in today. It allows us to plan and prepare for the future with hope and not fear. So don't put too much stock in your even godly concerns, whatever they may be, however good. Don't put too much value too much stock in them. Your life is more than every concern of your heart. And so we need to carry our concerns with the perspective Jesus offers us here. Seek first the kingdom and his righteousness. And everything else will be added to you. Treasure God more than anything else and leave the rest to him. You know, most of us, when we worry, we worry about things in the past and we worry about things in the future. And I love how Jesus talks about the past and the future in verse 34. He says, don't be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. We worry about past decisions we've made. We worry about future decisions to come. We, we often worry because we forget that this world and our lives in it not the end of the story. When Jesus tells us to seek the kingdom, he's partially telling us to look forward outside of time to the day when the kingdom of God will descend on the earth in fullness. And we're worried about all of these things that will be here today and gone tomorrow. Instead, we need to remember that the future that's awaiting us is a future in God's kingdom, the fullness of it. And then on that day when God's kingdom descends and heaven meets earth, we will realize that we were made for eternity, not all these temporal decisions and concerns that we have. We will see with our own eyes our true home and what we were made for. And if anxiety is a constant struggle for you, it will be on that day that this battle of fleeing anxiety into the arms of Jesus, that battle will end. There will be no more worry, only joy and pleasure forevermore. So, while the root of worry is found within you, one last brief word the power to this freedom from anxiety, this pathway where we can trust God and we can properly evaluate our own life and treasure Him above all things. The power to do that does not come from within us the way that anxiety is found within us. The power to do that is found in the person. Jesus does not just care that we are anxious. He doesn't just show us compassion through wise teaching. He doesn't offer us, you know, a system. And if we play it right, then we won't be anxious anymore. No, Jesus carried all of our burdens and all of our anxiety 
and all of our failures to trust God, and all of our idolatry on His shoulders as He hung on the cross. And it's through His death in our place that we are adopted into God's family. It's on the basis of what He has done that we can take comfort and joy in the fact that God is our Father. And it's through His resurrection that we are given new hearts and new life in Him to properly treasure Him above all others and trust Him when life feels out of control. I want to invite you to turn to one place with me and I'll pray for us. Turn to 1 Peter chapter 5. First Peter is toward the end of, of your Bible. First Peter 5. This is a final word of exhortation for us. It's just relief, and I know that we will face anxiety in multiple forms this week. Uh, I want you to remember this. The Jesus who, who tells us to not be anxious. He's not just standing afar. He comes near and he bears our anxieties for us. Look with me, 1 Peter 5, verse 7. Cast all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. Can you do that this week? Cast all your anxieties on him. He doesn't just tell us to not be anxious, he gives us a path. But he doesn't just give us a path, he gives us the power. And the power is found in casting our anxieties on him and stop bearing them ourselves. Cast your anxieties on him because he cares for you. Let me pray for us. Father, we're thankful for this word from Jesus about something we all struggle with. Thank you that, that he has revealed to us the spiritual roots of suffering or of, of anxiety. And, and I pray that you would help us to identify unbelief in our hearts and idolatry in our hearts. And would you help us to, to bring not only these struggles but our anxieties themselves and to cast them on you. And I pray that you would help us to trust you more. And that you would help us to properly prioritize our lives. And I